You are listening to the Mythical Jesus Podcast, where we explore the life of the Christ of faith. Diving into the New Testament, we explore what it means to be a developing human being, a disciple of Jesus, one who is more and more awakened. Please visit our website at christoffaith.org, where lots of tools and resources are available to help you become an awakened disciple. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of the Mythical Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for the chance to be with you. Today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 44. So a significant section. We just got finished talking about John the Baptist being beheaded. And uh, and, and essentially, the uh, author of the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, needing to tie up some loose ends with John. In verse 30, though, now we we make a shift and we move into another space and we return back to talking about the life of Jesus. And so in verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. That's an interesting phrase uh, from the New Living Translation, their ministry tour. It makes me think of the TV evangelist and, and them going around and filling up stadiums and, and filling up auditoriums and uh, concert halls and places like that where they, they preach and, and uh, have thousands and thousands come in. But of course, what it means here is that the apostles went out and traveled, going essentially door to door and preaching in the streets. They return from this ministry tour and they tell Jesus all that they have done and taught. So they report back to him. Then Jesus says, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. And the the author now realizes that they haven't given any context for why. So they now explain. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And so there's this kind of strange thing, right? The apostles have been gone. They return they, re- they report back the uh, efforts that they made on this ministry tour. And in the midst of reporting to Jesus, the context of the story imposes that they were uh, being inundated with people who wanted to meet with Jesus and uh, talk to him and uh, essentially be in his presence. Uh, while the apostles were there reporting, and to the point that they didn't even have time to eat. And so the verse 32 says that they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. So now they get into the boat, the, him and the apostles, they're going to travel to the, the other side of perhaps the Sea of Galilee. And uh, it says that many people recognized them and saw them leaving And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. This story feels awkward. The story feels to some degree a little absurd. So the apostles return and they are so inundated, them and Jesus, with people that Jesus and the apostles don't even have time to eat. So they go to leave and in the midst of leaving all of these people around, Many of the people who had come to see them and were inundating them to the point that they had no time to eat recognized them as they left and saw them leaving. Now, that seems 
really obvious uh, to the point where it seems strange that we're explaining it. And then these folks uh, ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. And this is supposed to be the Sea of Galilee. My suggestion to you would be to go on to an internet browser. Do a search for the Sea of Galilee. Look at pictures. We have in our mind like this giant body of water. And the reality is you can see from one side to the other. And so it is not outside the bounds of possibilities to for someone on land to essentially get to a space before the boat gets there, assuming the boat is just not traveling completely across the sea, but rather just trying to take a bit of a shortcut to to another spot just a little bit further ahead. Uh, and it becomes realistic that somebody, if they were to rush and hurry, uh, could essentially get there on foot ahead of them. So when they get there, verse 34 says, Jesus saw the huge crowd. Now again, it's awkward and uh, a little bit absurd that people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. It feels as if like, here's this crowd, they're bothering, good or bad, they're, they're in Jesus's personal space and in the personal space of his apostles to the point that they can't eat. They decide, let's, like, let's get in the boat, let's just get out of here and, and kind of get away from some of this so we can relax. And all of a sudden, the story tells us like people are coming from quite a few towns, many towns. Uh, and the idea of getting in a boat and people who are in towns around the Sea of Galilee recognize that that's Jesus and his apostles traveling, that feels absurd. And so we have to deal sometimes in these stories with the author is uh, wanting to go somewhere with the story. He's wanting to go somewhere with a point and then now realizes like he has some loose ends he has to tie up in order to get to that point. And so then he has to give this context to the story and to make space. And again, you can believe these, these writings are literal if you need to, but I would suggest that we make space that there is some degree of myth in the Jesus story. And that great truths are taught, but that often uh, fictional myth has to be inserted in places in order to have the story move fluidly from one point to another. Often in these stories, we get the idea that Jesus just goes from one thing to the next to the next. And often it's because the story says it in a way as to just connect these data points quickly so as to not have to give the mundane details of life that are happening in between each of these events. And so the idea that people from many towns ran ahead along the shore becomes highly unlikely and, and irrational if we sit and think about the logistics of, of how the story is being told. So they, they come up on shore and Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. Now this is the crowd from many towns who, who recognized Jesus and his apostles getting into a boat to leave, and he had compassion on them. Now, just, just an hour earlier, just an hour and a half earlier, two hours earlier, Jesus was at least uncomfortable enough with the crowd around him that he tells his disciples or apostles that he wants to get away from these people so that he can... Uh, essentially find some solitude 
and get some rest and eat. Then, just a few hours later, he lands on shore and here's the crowd, some of the same crowd and some of a different crowd from the towns around, waiting for him. And rather than be uncomfortable at this point, he has compassion on them because they, and the scriptures tell us, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. This, this kind of uh, dichotomy of Jesus being uncomfortable, and we could add other words. We could say, you know, uh, annoyed or bothered, uh, but the scriptures kind of leave us a little shy of that. But at the very least, uncomfortable, tired, uh, needing some solitude, hungry and wanting to eat, and then landing on shore, and, uh, and, now, and now he sets all of that aside. Jesus is with some of the same people and probably a larger crowd based on how the story frames this. And now Jesus says like, all right, never mind all the things I wanted two hours ago. Never mind that I could have just stayed there and talked to those folks there. Now we've come up over here on this side of, uh, of, of the body of water, come up on land. Here are these people again. And, uh, and this time I'm just going to set all those that discomfort aside. And I'm going to have compassion on these people. And I think there's a lesson here for us. First, it may seem strange. Like, why? But for me, the lesson is that there are times where I need some self-care. There are times where people are overwhelming me. There are times where I'm in a group and I don't want to be in a group. I want to be by myself. I want to be just with my wife. I want to just have some solitude and some rest. And I want to get a bite to eat in peace. And yet the occasion requires that I lean into what the needs of others are. And this is one of the very difficult things in life. It is the balance between self-care and being a good human being and helping others to grow and to help them meet their needs. And so we ought to at least recognize that Jesus himself is wrestling with this. There are multiple times so far, just in Mark, as we've gotten here to chapter 6, all of these episodes, and we're only in chapter 6 at this point, and we've already had at least three occasions where Jesus seems to want to uh, step away from his ministry to the people so that he can practice some self-care. And in this instance, he seems to at some point recognize like, okay, I have to throw in the towel on my self-care and I have to help others and to meet their needs and to give them things that they need to grow and to be better. And so it says that Jesus had compassion on them. And, and this idea of having compassion is, is the little flick of a moment where, where something moves in the Christ to where he is able to let go of his need for self-care for a moment and to meet the needs of others. And so we ought to sense in our own life, again, I'm not preaching to you like, hey, drop that whole thing of needing self-care and, and go uh, serve others until you're exhausted. No, what I'm saying is there has to be balance. We have to practice self-care. If we're burned out, if we're exhausted, we're not going to be able to help others. We have to be able to say like, hey, my time 
has to be utilized in a different way so that I have the energy and the wherewithal that I can be an asset to this world. And on the other hand, sometimes we have to be able to set a little bit of that need for self-care aside and meet the greater needs of someone else around us. And finding that balance is one of the messy, complicated challenges of life. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Now, let's recognize Jesus is still hungry. The apostles are still hungry. They are looking for a way to send the crowd happily somewhere else to get their needs taken care of so that Jesus and the apostles can also finally perhaps get this solitude and peace and a, and a good meal that they're looking for. But Jesus senses it. You feed them with what the apostles ask. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all of these people. Think for a moment. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all of these people. Consider for a moment what that tells you about the size of the crowd that the author of the Gospel of Mark is imposing is present at this moment. How much bread do you have? Jesus asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Now, I don't think they literally sat down in groups of 50 or 100. That seems kind of strange to say, okay, you guys over there, you sit in groups of 50. Hey, you guys over there, you sit in groups of 100. What I think it recognizes is the author is trying to say, look, they sat in really large groups. Verse 41 says, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then... Breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. So there's these 12 baskets. It then says in verse 44, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Now, I don't know, because I don't understand, I, I guess I could have gone and looked at this, but I didn't think it was an important data point. I could have gone and looked and seen if the way the sentence is structured and looking at the original language it was written in, if 5,000 represented the men and their families, or if it is, as the sentence seems to impose, 5,000 men and their families were fed. And so we have a contradiction with this story, because I believe later on we're going to find that it's reported that 7,000 were fed this way. And we ought to recognize like that may seem like a contradiction, but it's also possible that it's 5,000 men and the other 2,000 are their families. That's certainly feasible. But to recognize like there's these 12 baskets, they've got bread and fish in them. They pass these baskets from group to group. The, each group is able to eat until they're full and then pass it on to the other group. 
And when they're all done, these 12 baskets still have leftover bread and fish. And that some miracle has occurred where there is enough. There is enough food, even though we started off with not enough. And I simply want to insert here this idea that we can learn something from the story, whether the original author intends it or not. So as I live in 2019 and very much consider myself a disciple of the Christ, I also recognize that the kinds of miracles attributed to scripture that seem supernatural, this being one of them, that those kinds of things cease and desist the moment that history becomes verifiable. So in other words, when I look around at my life and the life of those around me and the life around those who know those around me, as I keep extending out my awareness of human beings, what I recognize is that supernatural miracles seem to diminish significantly or perhaps even disappear the moment that history becomes recordable and verifiable. And so I look back into the scriptures and and I have a level of skepticism towards the kinds of miracles that are being spoken about here. I have severe doubts that five loaves and two fish were literally broken up into 12 baskets and those 12 baskets fed five or 7,000 people. And when they were done, there were still loaves and fish left and everybody ate as much as they wanted. But what I prefer to do is take that story and now see it in a different way. And one of the things that I take from this story is the idea that in life, we often feel like we are up against the wall, that we've gone as far as we can go. We've done all we can do. And, and now we look at our life and what is happening in this moment. And we say, I just can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this thing. I, I don't have enough. I don't have enough to keep going. And what I sense in the story is the idea like if we just keep pressing ahead, almost every single time we humans figure it out. We figure it out. And those around us help us figure it out. So just as Jesus had compassion on the crowd, others are going to have compassion on us. I remember there was a time in my life where I was working multiple jobs. We, we had put our house up for sale. We had had our fourth child and we were living in this really tiny house. And we, we decided like we need to buy a bigger home. So we put our house up for sale. And, and as we did that, as we put our home on the market, it some time went by and it wasn't selling. And our real estate agent said, look, to be honest, you guys are this, you know, six people living in this really tiny house. People come to see your home and it just looks congested and full. She said, would you trust me? Would you just try something? Like, go ahead and buy the house you want. And, and let's then move in and let's now have your existing home be empty. And it being empty, it's going to look bigger to people. It's going to sell better this way. And, and so in an act of faith, we put our house not only up for sale, but then bought our new home. And so we move into our new home and our old house is sitting empty and it's still sitting vacant. People are coming to look at it and it's not selling. And at this point, you've got two mortgages to pay. You've got little mouths to feed and you've got a wife who's nervous and worried 
And so I did, I did what, what any of us would do in that situation, which is to get another job. And so I started working for a country club while I was also working for a flooring store. And what I would do is I would go into my, the flooring store job, which I had held for years and years and years. I would go in there at 8.30 with start time, get there at 8.30, work until 5.30. Then at 5.30, I would go home. I would uh, feed, help my kids, you know, get supper, get that all done. And then I would go to bed sometime around 8 o'clock at night. I would sleep for three hours until 11 p.m. Then I would get up, take my shower, get ready. And then I would head off to the other job, which I had to be at at midnight. At midnight, I then worked all through the night until 8 a.m. At 8 a.m., I would leave that job, and then I would go back to my original job at the flooring store. And I did this for like several months on end. And if you've ever done this sort of thing, you realize it does not take long before you are not happy, you are not healthy, you are exhausted, you are burned out, and you are frustrated, sad, and angry at the world. But we do what we have to do. And there came a point where I was at a meeting with the church I was with at the time. And at this meeting, I, was, uh, I, I knew our finances at our home were tight. I knew that I needed to be conservative. And so in the intermission of this meeting, everybody goes away for an hour to go get a bite to eat and then come back for another two-hour meeting. And so everybody goes to go to, to dinner, and I just turn that down. And as everybody leaves, nobody knows the situation I'm in. And so I end up walking down the hallway, and I just go sit in a room all by myself, and I start crying. I am, I'm broke. At this point, I'm broke. I'm exhausted. I've hit the wall. I, I can't go any further. And so I sit there for about 20 minutes just crying. And then I, I rise up, I open the door to the room, and I step out of the hallway. But I wipe off my tears first. I don't want to be, I don't want to look like a, a charity case. And so I start walking down the hall. And somebody who I, I know and I consider them a friend, but I didn't know them super, super well, but I knew them well enough to know they're a good human being. They perceived something. I don't, I don't know if they just saw my red eyes. I don't know what they saw, but they perceived something. And they, they came up to me and they said, look, something's not right. What's going on? And, and I avoided trying to tell them the whole story. But somewhere along the way, the person said, you must be hungry. You must be hungry. Why don't you come in here? And she takes me into the kitchen inside this religious building, this church building, and uh, opens up the refrigerator because... Other folks there had packed meals. And some folks had packed a meal, but, but then found out at the meeting that a meal was being provided for them. And so she then gave me one of these meals that was essentially not going to be used that belonged to her husband. And so I, I ate the food and it filled one need, which was I was hungry. But this experience then gave me enough energy, enough filling of my bucket to allow me to move on for another space of time. And very, very soon after, our original home sells. And so you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm able to essentially put in my two-week notice at my other job, this new job at the country club, and to resume living a normal life. But as you can imagine, at times we get to the end of our rope. We get to where we hit the wall. And this story of loaves and fishes 
needs to be a reminder to us that, that generally, almost always, as we push through to do what we need to do, things open up. Ways are provided. And even when those things don't work, like sometimes people die. Sometimes people experience deep trauma. And it's not okay for us to say like, oh, it always works out. No, it doesn't always work out. Some folks who say like, oh, I'm really sick. I hope it works out and they die. But even in that experience, the those who are left to pick up the pieces, they have to push ahead. They have to little by little learn to move on with life. And I hope that's what we gain from the loaves and fishes story, that sometimes things look bleak. Sometimes it looks like there's no way in which we will collectively as a family, as a community, move on from such things. And yet somehow, collectively, and almost always individually, we move on from such things. And we lean into life and other great and wonderful experiences lie ahead. Until next time, this is the Mythical Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Consider donating today at christoffaith.org. See you soon. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redemption